Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. Being the bearer of bad tidings. So today we're going to talk about having to deliver bad news. Nobody likes to deliver bad news. One of the reasons is because we don't want to catch the brunt. You know, they talk about, you know, don't kill the messenger. Nobody wants to be the messenger, regardless of whether or not it's in the messenger or the deliverer's control or not. Mm-hmm. Some of the main concerns of the messenger deliverer of this bad news really focus on how they can handle their own anxiety by having to deliver this news, how to deliver the news without altering it or impairing the news. You don't want to downplay something or upplay something and making sure they do the best they can and harm the least. So really, you know, watching their timing, the method of their delivery, the support that they're surrounding with, the location that they're telling them in, making sure that if they can do it in person, they do. If they, if they can't, you know, checking to make sure that it's a good time. You know, you don't want to deliver bad adoption news as somebody is on, you know, their way to a funeral. You know what I mean? You don't want to add insult to injury. You want to make sure your word precision is, is good. And then your follow-up is important. And in adoption, unfortunately, we have to give bad news and it's awful and it's hard and it's our least favorite part of the job. So today we're really going to focus on what we do as an agency when we have to deliver bad news. And by listening to this podcast, hopefully if and when that this happens to an adoptive family and they have to be the recipient of the bad news, then Maybe this will shed a little more understanding. Here's 10 tips for delivering bad news from Tech Republic's blog. Number one, set and manage expectations beforehand if you can. Two, do a proper setup for the moment. Three, get to the point. Don't dilly-dally. Four, explain the background and give details. Five, be sitting down. Number six, to be sensitive to physical position. Number seven, separate yourself from the message. Eight, be sympathetic. Nine, reframe the situation. And number 10, offer alternatives. Sarah is one of our adoptive parent case managers. And she is joining us today to talk about the behind the scenes of having to 
prepare adoptive families for bad news or how to deliver bad news, what that looks like from her perspective, what's really going on in her head. And the goal is to give you some insight as to what really happens. We're kind of drawing back the curtain, if you will. And this will give adoptive families some perspective on what we go through as an agency and specifically what an adoptive parent case manager goes through when she does have to be the bearer of bad tidings. All right. So Sarah, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So when you get that dreaded call from the birth parent case manager and a birth mother has either changed her mind and decided to parent or we found out that she had ill intent or there's some some bad news that has to be broken to the adoptive family. What's the first thing that goes through your head? The first thing that goes through my head is I would rather be anywhere else but to break that kind of news to a family. Um, it, it's just devastating. The, the, the reaction that we get is just being shell-shocked. And that's before we have to tell the family because we don't know a lot of times that it's that it's coming. Some we can anticipate, you know, we see the red flags, but so often we have no idea that it might be coming. So we might have that bad feeling, get that shell shock, but not have all the information. So we have to sit on it until we can get all of it. So when we do deliver that news, we aren't, you know, fumbling over what happened. You know, we're, we're pretty well prepared, but there is absolutely no preparation to tell a family that they will not be going home with the baby that you know they they had thought that was going to happen. And and I have made more of those phone calls during the 16 years that I've been with the agency than I will ever want to make in a lifetime. So I I understand exactly what that is like. And I think you're portraying it really well to the listeners, just that it is really one of those things that, you know, you would rather clean the bathtub floor or pull everything out that's underneath your bed or the worst Monday, there's nothing you'd rather do. Uh-huh. And and what what is so difficult to do um, that I want people to understand is it's not just we get this news and we can just kind of get ourselves together and take a gulp and make the call. I literally have to process it myself, which can take, you know, an hour to just get over that shell shocked and imagine what that family is going to do, what the reaction is going to be. How are they, are they going to cry right away? Do I have to wait for long pauses? You play through all the different um, scenarios that you've gone through, yet never is one the same. So nothing is scripted. Nothing can be scripted because you're dealing with human emotions. Hmm. You can't script a feeling that you don't know you're going to have until you get the news. Do you prefer to tell people over the phone or in person? I would prefer doing it in person. I've done many, many in person. I've made, you know, special trips um, down to tell the people in person, tell my families in person. I, and, and I think the importance of that is that 
they get to see my reactions, my feelings, and know that they are genuine, you know, that I was in this with them. I wasn't just, you know, their social worker, their case manager, but my heart was in it with them, trying to make sure that I was doing everything I could to facilitate a positive adoption, you know, but there are times that, you know, no matter what we do, we we can't come through and we have to make those calls. And I'll tell you what, sometimes 24 hours, there are some that it takes some 24 hours to build up the courage. I like to do it as soon as I can, just because I always promise my families in the beginning that I am 100% transparent. Whatever information I know, you're going to know. I'm your right arm here in Arizona. You, you know, you need to know that I'm here to advocate for you. So, you know, the longest I think I've ever waited is probably five hours of walking, pacing, cleaning, um, replaying it in my mind, how I was going to do it. Um, so walk you us never through. know what you know you're going to get. Walk us through. Walk us through. Um, obviously, you know, don't disclose any names, but walk us through what is the most common scenario of, okay, you get the news, this mom has chosen to parent, she's had the baby, and the family is at the hospital. And walk us through what goes through your head and how you prepare yourself. Um, What goes through my head, to be honest, is I am glad I'm the one that is delivering the news. And and the reason I say that, as horrible as it is, Because they, like I said, they will feel the support will exude from me. You know what I mean? Like it won't be superficial. It won't be, uh, you know, business-like. It's going to be 100% compassion. So that, you know, that's going through my head right away is how can I handle this so they know that I am there 100%, you know, for them. Um, sometimes I, well, one situation we were at the door of the birth mother, parents ready to go in to meet birth mother and new baby nurse met us at the door and said, sorry, mom has chosen not to do the adoption. So when you're stuck standing there with two distraught parents, you know, you, you just react. What do I do here? You know, I gathered them. We went down to the cafeteria. I said, you know, I'll be doing my job of gathering as much information as I can to get you some closure as to how this went down. I can't guarantee it, but I'm just there for them to to just even be that bored. I always tell the parents, hey, I know the grieving process. You're going to go through those stages and one of them's anger and don't get angry at each other. Don't get angry at family. Get angry. Put your anger towards me. I'm a big girl. I can handle it. You know, don't, because I know it's it's going to be in you. I would rather process it with you and you get angry at me than to take it out on somebody else that doesn't understand that that's part of the grieving process. That's well, incredible. you really do have broad shoulders because I was going to ask you about the anger and the blame. And I'm sure you get some of that, whether it's misplaced or not. I'm sure some of these adoptive families and parents come to you and say, this is your fault. This is, you know, and... I can't even imagine just the guilt that you must face sometimes, even if it's not placed in the right place, you know? Oh, sure. And and that's part, you're right. That is part of human nature. Mm-hmm. You don't know how you're going to react. 
in situations. So we we do we get a lot of angry adoptive parents that blame us because we're the first line of defense. You know they they and I can understand some of it. I let them vent and and try to explain things, but some is no explaining. They just are purely going to blame someone, and I'm it because I'm closest thing to the disruption that they have but the one the one thing i would say to them is that they do have to just understand we bear all the weight when there's a disruption we take it personally like we didn't do our job that's our first that's my first reaction is what didn't i do and so for them to beat me up like that's already been done that ship sailed right you can't beat me And the fact is, I mean, it has nothing to do with you. It's it's the choice that the birth mother or whomever is making, and it just doesn't land well for anybody. Sure, and even mother. as much as we prepare, they yeah. sign a contract. What is it, Kelly? Twenty pages long. Yes. An initial each page. It's fine print, you know, or big print everywhere throughout, and we still can get the same things back like acting like the contract was never existent and so it's like (laughs) that's what a parent adoptive families need to understand is that ultimately nobody has control of the roller coaster except the birth mom we're passengers we're riding along we're trying to keep it on the tracks sometimes we can sometimes we can't but it's never anyone's fault there's no blame, and that's the hardest thing for them to wrap their heads around. We go as far as we can go to make sure that every one of these is successful. I know that Sarah, you and I one time uh, did consents very late at night because we had some issues getting a birth mother in to sign, and, and you went as far as you could and, and stayed there with me, and we drove around, and we were able to accomplish it. But it was it was very late at night, and um, we will go the extra mile, and that's so hard. Now, do you grieve along with your families? Um, yeah, d- depending on the family. You know, of course, there's families that you do create a closer bond with that um, respect your job you're doing and constantly praise you for it because they know you're giving your best, even though the things aren't going the way that they perceive them to go like, oh, we were supposed to have phone calls. They're not happening. They still support that we were at least trying. Um, Those calls, I had one just last week that was such a difficult call. I had bonded with a family for six months. We had gone through this and, you know, really close. I gave them, you know, every bit of information I could and it ended up resulting in a disruption right at the last second and to get just words expressed back to you of their gratitude and appreciation for you it makes that's what keeps you going as a social worker it's not all the things that you get beat up for it's the wins of the people that you can gain their trust and respect from I was going to ask you that. That was actually my next question is, which are the ones that are the hardest versus like what makes it harder to call a family and what what makes it or talk to a family and what makes it easier? What makes it hard is when you have a family that is, there is constant pushback and constant questioning of my job. Like 
Um, you know, we screw up. I screw up. I'm a social worker. I didn't go into, you know, something where there's not a lot of room for air. Social work, there's a lot of room for human air. So I may screw up and forget to attach a document. Well, some of these ATs, like, keep track of all that and, like, will write it down and then, like, send a note to my supervisor that, you know, she didn't do this and this and this. What they don't understand is I may have been dealing with a disruption during that time, a preemie in the hospital with another family, um, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. And and so to call but that's not something I was going to say, but that's not something that would affect a disruption. That's that, that would that's just, um, yes, paperwork processing. Right. Right. Then when you have to make the call, you know, you're going to get just kicked in the teeth. Because they're going to bring up all of those things. Well, right. like you, you know, you said that the case manager was supposed to visit her and she didn't, you know, I mean, they just, so those calls are tough because you're replaying like all of the things that they confronted, you know, of the things that may have been screwed up, not knowing that we're getting our information from a birth mother, you know, that's our, that's, that's who we rely on. Um, those are, those are hard calls to make because you're, you're preparing to just get thrown all kinds of questions and anger. And, um, the easy ones are the ones that you do build the relationship with. They aren't easy in terms of, um, time. Those take longer to prepare for. Those are my two mile walks, my, you know, constant, you know, running through playing it in my head. You know, so it's crazy. The closer you are, the easier the call is. It's harder during the call and harder after the call. Looking back at all the the unfortunate disruption phone calls and, and meetings that you've had to participate in, what would you like to say to an adoptive family that maybe it's not politically correct to say or that you you really can't say in the moment? But what's something that you would really like to say? I would like to say, oh, yeah, I'd like to say when a family is questioning, you know, what we're doing and why the birth mother isn't complying. And I would love to say, you know what? I have 30 years under my belt of social work on the ground working with homeless and mentally ill. And you're questioning my job? Have you ever been in the streets of Phoenix watching IV drug users with birth moms standing around? You, you have no idea what we're dealing with. We're dealing with adult women that have no connection. They have no bonds. They never maybe had a mother that they respected. And we're supposed to, you know, have adoptive parents come flying in and these relationship built. And they're supposed to follow through and go on. No, that's not reality. Some of those people have never been outside their bubble. So how dare them question a social worker that's been on the streets and wonder if I'm able to do my job. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things. It's like they have no idea what the streets look like. Okay. They that's, see it on TV, but that's one of that's one of the things. Tell me one more. Just to trust me. To trust that I know it's blind faith, but that's all you have. You know, you're not here. All you have is blind faith. So Instead of sitting here questioning me and what I'm doing and whether or not BAS is, you know, following through with the birth mom, um, which I get questions a lot. Does anyone even see this birth mom? Or, I mean, that, that's a constant question. 
but just that just you just want to lay it out that you, you have no idea you have no understanding of the clientele you know but I don't know it can it just there's so many Kelly there's so many frustrations because each family presents a different problem and some can get resolved pretty quickly because you can explain to them kind of how things work but some they'll just never get it they just never will get it because they didn't have the experience of what we're dealing with no that makes sense so how do you recover after the phone call what what do you do well you know what (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah yeah exactly no i have learned through this many years you don't stay in social work seriously if you can't decompress i have to decompress and even if i have to force myself to I have to get rid of it. And that's why you can have the shoulders for as many years is because you you learn to compartmentalize and you learn to decompress and let go of the issue of what you can fix, what you can't fix and what you just got to give up on. Because otherwise, if we carry it around and we do, I'll tell you what, like I said earlier, we bear the burden. So we carry it around a lot. Well, that's where you get burnout. If you can't, you know, kind of disassociate from a horrible situation and focus on another one, you'll drown in the field of social work because everything changes and nothing's ever the same. I, I couldn't agree more. So um, I run, I run a lot and, and walk a lot and um, yeah, and golf. Oh, that, that's what I should have <laughs> brought up. Nothing's better than dealing with an upset you know call from an adoptive family and going and teeing off on hole 13 and pretending that it's a situation that uh you know not not a person but it releases anger of whatever situation you're dealing with. right now so after you deal with one of these like say a really rough situation that the parent the adoptive parents don't take it well it just really hurts your heart how long does it take you to kind of get right back on the, cause you've got to get back on the horse and pretty quickly as well, because you've got other birth mothers, other adoptive families, but how long does it generally take? Do you need an afternoon off maybe a couple of days or how do you, how does it affect you? Like how do you, how long before you can bounce back? Right. Of course it depends on the situation, but I give myself no more than 24 hours. If I can't, um, decompress and and get myself back to a frame of mind where I have other cases, mm-hmm. then I'm carrying around something and I need to go back and do more work. So it, it's a 20, I, I give myself, you know, I cap it out at 24 hours if I'm still bothered. Because what I do, um, I just got done, the family that disrupted, and I text her and I checked on her, how are you doing? And she's like, you know, so we're communicating back and forth. That's healing. That's healing for me, but I'm doing it to help her heal too. So it, it's like kind of a give take, you know, it's like get what you get. What is the best advice that you can give to adoptive families facing the news that you're delivering? Um, to just take my advice, because what I tell them is just, you know, take some time. Do you have family around you? Um, I don't want, you know, to continue talking because I want to give you guys the opportunity. So just know I'm here for you at, you know, anytime, 24 seven. 
when you want to call. So sometimes I'll let them off the phone because it's very awkward and they aren't able to, to get off the phone. Um, so I would, re- you know, like them to just kind of get off the phone with me and then let's call, let's talk again. That, that would be my best advice instead of, um, you know, getting into all the details and everything about what happened. Let, let's all process it and then we'll discuss it. And to realize that I had zero control over her placing or not zero, uh, zero uh, just real quick, I have one more little question because, you know, we've been talking about the hard news and the hard questions and dealing with these situations. What's the best you've ever seen an adoptive family take the news? What was that like? You know, the best was when, well, and there's a couple different times it's happened when a family, they are so upset that it was a disruption but they feel sad for the birth mom. They feel really heartbroken. They don't blame her. They just say, you know, I, I, I wish her the best. I hope she can do it. You know, this breaks our, our heart. You know, this we, we had a nursery set up. But it's when it's when the families respect the decisions of the birth moms that decide to parent. Now, the other ones that decide to let the baby go to DCS I can understand, you know, their their anger, but we I do get a lot of adoptive families that are so respected. I mean, the respect that they show the birth mom, you know, for doing something to them that was so hurtful. Mm-hmm. But they see the other side of it that this mother has every right to choose to parent her baby. Sure. So that's pretty remarkable to hear those kind of stories from parents. It's it's actually warms your heart. Well, Sarah, you do an incredible job, and we are so lucky to have you with the agency. And thank you so much for taking the time to share your insight with our listeners. And I am sure that you will be joining us again soon at some point. All right. Well, thanks. And and hey, don't get me wrong. I love my adoptive families. All right, Sarah. Take care. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Well, I do appreciate Sarah coming on here and helping us with these things. And I think it helps not just in the adoption world, but anytime you have to deliver bad news to somebody, because we've all been through it, maybe not to this extent. And maybe on the other side, when you're getting bad news, maybe hearing this information will help you to associate with the other person as well and just give a little grace, as we've talked about in the past. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. If you're listening and you're dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and want more information about adoption, Building Arizona Families is a local Arizona adoption agency and available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. That's 623-695-4112. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan or just get you more information. You can also find out more information about Building Arizona families on their website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thanks also go out to Grapes for allowing us to use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Birth Mother Matters and Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. We also now have a website at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Tune in next time on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines.